In the war, my father, who was, and I mean this as a compliment, the best liar I've ever met, faked his way into being an orderly in a hospital. The job, far from the front, likely saved his life, but he had no idea how to minister to the sick, and he probably killed more than one or two men because of his incompetence. I don't need to say goodbye to her, my father said on the phone. I already did. I'm not asking you to come for her. I'm asking you to come for me. That's different, I suppose. He came, but it took an hour. As always, he was impeccably dressed. A well-pressed dark suit, a starched white shirt, a blue and black bow tie, a blue pocket square, his face freshly shaved, his dyed hair combed over his still visible shiny bald spot. My father was a charming anachronism. My mother and I and a few dozen undergraduate women were probably the only people in this country who ever saw my father in anything less than formal attire. My uncle Shlomo, who had been at a liquor store convention in Detroit, apparently drove at something approaching the speed of sound on I-94. He didn't need encouragement like me in that regard as soon as he heard and arrived almost at the same minute as my father. Cynthia, though, was still suffering from stress. Bruce was taking a red eye from L.A. So was Anna, more or less our family's adopted daughter, and reminder, as if my parents needed any, of the hell of Russia and the heaven of the United States. But neither Bruce nor Anna would see my mother alive, I knew. My uncle gave his sister a hug that rattled the bed and kissed her softly on her cheeks and lips. You really want to die today? he asked. I don't have a choice. I've already lost a lot of blood. They could give you more. Blood. They have lots of that. Blood is cheap. My uncle put a bottle of vodka on the nightstand. A nurse walked in to protest as he opened it. My uncle looked completely different than my mother, with dark Mediterranean skin and a perpetual five o'clock shadow. His curly, thick black hair, graying in streaks, was combed straight back. When he looked at the nurse, he did so with the exact same expression that my mother had used, intentionally or not, to scare thousands of undergraduates over the years. The nurse scurried down the hall. Rahela, we should take off your jewelry, my uncle said. He pronounced her name like it would have been pronounced in her hometown, Ruhla. Otherwise, the Ganovim at the funeral home will steal it. He's right, my father said. Of course he's right. Shlomo knows these things. She smiled faintly. It's getting hard to talk. Don't talk then, Shlomo said. Just listen. I'll have plenty of time to listen when the worms crawl into my grave. A little vodka would help. My uncle took the bottle to her lips and she had a sip. Then he lifted the bottle high and poured a shot down his throat. That's better, he said. This is hard, you know. I can't believe it. He passed me the bottle. I drank with my uncle, which was nothing new. Even my father, Victor, drank, although he refused to drink from the bottle straight and got a cup from a drawer in the room. Victor, that is a urine sample cup, my uncle said. So? This is good vodka. It isn't piss. I'm not pouring good vodka into a piss cup. All of a sudden, you have principles? 
All of a sudden, you don't have any class? It's a cup. I need a cup. The bottle already has your spit on it. Enough, you two, I said and looked at my mother. It's like old times, she smiled and coughed. I took the bottle from my uncle and poured vodka to the top of my father's urine cup. I'm going to spill good vodka, he said. It won't be the first time, I said. He drank it down in one gulp. A smile flashed from his thin lips. It is good. I told you it was. My sister is dying. I'm not going to bring cheap stuff. Three minutes later, my father asked for more. I want to make a toast, he said. My mother's monitor beeped as he raised his cup. To my Rahela, who gave me love, gave me a son, and had the strength to cheat death. The vodka is making you sentimental, my mother said. Yes, it is. I didn't want to be here, you know. A dying woman, a hospital, a depressing thing. But I'm glad I came. Tomorrow, it will be chaos. All of those mathematicians. Tonight, it's just us. I'll have another sip, my mother said. My uncle dutifully obliged. This bottle won't last, she said. I have a case in the car. You should get more. You won't die while I'm gone? I want to see your last breath. I don't know why I just said that, but I think it won't hurt so much if I do. I promise. I'll wait until you get back. Shlomo walked out of the room. A nurse entered. Is there anything I can do to help? My mother laughed. Help? I'm here already. That's enough. Go help someone who needs it. Okie dokie, the nurse said and walked out. There's a cross over my bed, isn't there? My mother asked. I nodded. Take it down. I don't want Yozel Pandrik looking down at me when I die. I walked over to the bed, reached high and yanked. Jesus wouldn't come down. He's nailed to the wall. I could have told you that, my father said. Take a towel and cover him up. I won't see him in the next life. I don't want to see him in this one either. Don't start, Rahela, my father said. He was slurring his words. He poured the last of the bottle into his cup. You're right, my mother said. My father pulled out his notebook from his suit pocket. He could work anywhere and sometimes work better drunk than sober. Riemann? I asked. No, someone else. It's always been Riemann, I said. My father had been trying to solve the Riemann hypothesis, a major problem in mathematics, for 30 years. He certainly wasn't alone, but to try to achieve something massively significant in a field where you're by and large useless after your 40th birthday, and my father was 77, is the height of both delusion and optimism. That said, old mathematicians tended to shrivel up entirely intellectually. At least he was trying. Today it's Navier Stokes, he said. This too was one of the great unsolved problems in mathematics. You have a big appetite, but you don't know anything about partial differential equations. And you do? I know how to use them. Mother is the one who knows how to analyze them. And you're at Wisconsin, not Minnesota. Minnesota is for the dull-witted, my mother said. 
Enough talk about nonsense. Now that you two are here, I want to say something. Go ahead, Rahela, my father said. I want to say the obvious. Okay, this family isn't the best, but neither is it the worst. We have our strengths. We are still close. I will die happily knowing this. I'm glad you think we're still close, I said. Why did I say such a pissy thing? After all, my mother was dying. I should have let her be and enjoyed my last hours with the one person that I loved more than myself. I'm not always proud of my behavior. You know what I'm saying. Don't be an idiot. Not with me. Not with your father. Mother told me she would rise from the grave if I didn't spend time with you after, I said to my father. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in such things, my father said. He'll spend time with you, she said. He's gotten old. He needs you. And you have the American sickness of niceness. You don't hold a grudge. And you'll rise from the grave if I do hold a grudge? Sure, if Yozel Pandre can do it, then why not me? Go get the towel. I walked into the bathroom and grabbed two brown paper towels. Pani Karnokovich? A man asked from the hall entrance. My mother spoke four languages fluently. English, Russian, Yiddish, and Polish. Her Hebrew and German weren't half bad either. But Polish was her mother tongue, and she spoke it like the dukes and duchesses of old. It was a formal style of speaking, long forgotten. My knowledge of Polish is spotty, and as a result, I never understood much of what she said when she talked to Poles. My father, a Russian native, was a little better. My uncle, who lived in Poland until 1957, of course, was fluent. When I heard the words Mrs. Karnokovich in Polish, I turned around. Tak, proszę nie Yes, it's me. Please come inside, father, my mother said. His name was Father Rudnitsky. I didn't know him. I walked over to the priest and shook his hand after I stuffed the paper towels into my sport coat's interior left pocket. My father looked up from his notebook and mentally recorded the priest's presence. This is my son. He lives in Tuscaloosa, he said. I've never been. You're a long way from home, Father Rudnitsky said to me. I understand it's very pretty there. He studies hurricanes, flies inside them to make measurements. It causes us a great deal of worry. My father went back to his notebook. It's good to have parents who care about you, the priest said. Even at 51, yes, I think it's probably true, I said. A nurse with a golden smile walked in. Is everything okay here? I think everything is fine, the priest said. Nurse, did you know that Professor Karnokovich is a hero in her Polish homeland? Please be good to her. I didn't know. It's fine what she's doing, my mother said. A few more hours and the blood will drain out of me. I can say goodbye. You still have your sense of humor, Pani Karnokovich. It's not really humor, she said. It's a statement of fact. I'm sorry. You shouldn't be. I've had a full life. I can go now without any regrets. How do you know my mother? I asked. Through the diocese. My mother, while working on her family history, had managed to wrangle the Wisconsin Catholic Diocese to help find records of her family in Poland. 
I happened to see her name on the list of patients. Of course I had to come visit. It's good you're here, Proshek Siedra, my mother said. Sit down. We have no more chairs, but you can sit on the bed if that is okay with you. Of course. My brother. You've never met him, but you'll like him. He'll be back soon. I do have a request, Proshek Siedra. Anything. The cross above my bed. As you know, I'm not a Christian. Yes, I'm aware. My son and husband say it's nailed to the wall. That is correct. My father once again joined the conversation. She'd like it removed, Proshek Siedra. Thank you, Victor. I looked at my parents and then watched the priest, taken aback by the sheer nerve of my mother and father. This was a time for me to stay in the background. My parents were conjuring forth something from a place I could only witness with a mixture of worry and admiration, but never fully understand. My mother had what in Yiddish are called bzikis. It comes from the Polish word bziki, and issues, I guess, is the closest translation. And she had so many of them that some might have viewed her as an impossible walking tick. My father, when they were together, off and on accommodated, no, more like celebrated, every one of these bzikas. I think I know exactly why. Her craziness was happily wed to her intellect. There are no reasonable geniuses in this world, I am convinced. My wife, may the Lord bless her, is of the same faith as our Lord Christ. She has brightened the world in her own special way, my father said. Her views are peculiar, I know, Ksieja Rudniki, but whatever fate befalls her in the world to come, she deserves to die with the dignity that comes of her own faith, yes? Mr. Karnokovich, said Father Rudnitsky, you know I cannot do this. Yes, I understand. You cannot personally do such a thing. To be truthful, being of the same faith as you, neither can I. But for my son, such a thing is possible. Perhaps you could arrange to have someone in the hospital provide him with the necessary tools? I, I couldn't even watch your son do this, to be honest. I understand this too. You do not have to be here when it happens, but it is a dying woman's request. I'll see what I can do, Father Rudnitsky said and walked out of the room. He'll be back, I'm sure, my father said. No doubt, my mother said. And if not, Shlomo, I'm sure, has tools in his car. <laughs>